Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Maybe because this is Memorial Day weekend, the story at the heart of the gospel this morning created an odd association for me as I was preparing to preach this week. Kept thinking about what it means to be an American. Ellis and I just bought plane tickets to spend a few weeks in Europe this summer. And Europe on the brain as I read about the centurion and his questions of worthiness. And this story reminded me a bit about how Americans can sometimes be perceived abroad. And hear me out. Uh, some of you know that I studied part of my senior year at Oxford University. And one of the great experiences of Oxford, which is mimicked in the Harry Potter movies, is formal hall dinner. You get all dressed up and you sit at these long tables in your college. You end up at table with people you don't know well. I was in a small college, but I didn't know everyone. One night, a group of classmates got to telling stories about stupid Americans abroad. After a few go-rounds, one of them awkwardly looked over at me as if realizing I was there. He said, don't worry, Mike. You're not one of those Americans. I didn't know whether or not to be comforted. Americans often do behave badly abroad. I've seen it. I've caught myself talking too loudly in a museum or tripping over a local custom. I thought about this Americans abroad question this week as I read about the centurion. He's not that kind of Roman, the Jewish people seem to say. He's built us a synagogue. He cares about the locals. He's not your average American. Travel does seem to bring about the worst in us, but it can also bring out some hilarity. My family used to have a bit of a running gag when we traveled together. The joke centered around the GPS navigation systems that you only used to find in rental cars. And before each of us carried our own GPS system on our phones, getting that navigation system was a special joy of having a rental car. The real fun of GPS in the city you don't know for our family came when you reached your destination. As we got close to where we were going, my mother would say, wait for it, wait for it, until we heard the GPS announce, you have arrived. <laughs> it's too bad our iPhones don't say that simple sentence as they navigate for us. You have arrived. I love the way that that, sense, that that sentence conveys. You've made it. You found a place of comfort and privilege you're in. You have arrived. It speaks of a certain level of access in society. So it was always reassuring when the little lady inside the GPS told us that we had indeed arrived. Americans today seem very concerned about arriving. We want to achieve the American dream, to arrive. We have some loose understanding of what arrival looks like. Maybe a good job, a good partner, a Labrador, 2.5 kids. I always wonder about who the .5 is. You know, white picket fences. But then when you have the fence, the job, the dog, the spouse, maybe the kids, the voice never comes telling us, you have arrived. 
As it turns out, the American dream leaves many with a certain dissatisfaction. I have a guess at why. I think because a lot of us have dreamed a dream that's too small. It's an individual dream. America is a dream that at its best is bigger than any of us alone. No person alone, no family alone, no community alone, no church alone, no race or gender or orientation or ability or language can be America alone. America is a dream that invites us to expand the borders of our identity. We only realize the dream when we transcend the walls that separate us. The best of the American dream is a bit like Solomon's surprising prayer from the first book of Kings that we read this morning. This passage we have comes just after Solomon has built the temple. The king has completed a wonder of the world. He's built this temple that took millions of hours of labor and countless resources. The temple is the pride of the nation Israel, which is why it's so surprising when he asks God. When a foreigner comes and prays towards this house, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. Solomon wants his temple to be known as a house of prayer for all people. He's dreaming big. This kind of dream has faith in a God bigger than just him, bigger than just his people. It took that kind of faith, that kind of dream 240 years ago, for a group of freshly minted Americans in what was then an agrarian backwater of the world to declare their independence from the British sovereign. The founders had a dream. They were convinced that God did not send tyrants to rule over them. The founders believed that all men, today we would amend their statement, all people are created equal. That they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That word pursuit describes a journey, describes a movement. Hopefully the American movement isn't quite over yet. I think the founders of our nation understood what it was to dream a great dream, to dream a dream that was bigger than themselves. I think whatever progress our nation has made in this world, it owes in part to the depth of the founders' dream. We are the inheritors of the freedoms of our founders. Make no mistake, while some have experienced the American dream, others have lived a nightmare. While the generation of founders outlined new freedoms for themselves, they denied that freedom to the enslaved Africans who worked on their plantation. The architects of freedom claimed to own people. Think about that for a moment. Some theologians have called slavery America's original sin. The definition of sin is missing the mark. In archery, to sin is to fall short of the target. In that sense, our treatment of enslaved Africans was our original sin as a country. We missed the mark of our dream. And today, the legacy continues to haunt us. 
Still today, our agricultural and service industries are reliant upon the labor of millions of undocumented immigrants. Each year, the U.S. government allows only 5,000 visas for this kind of work. Because we deny so many of these laborers a legal permit to work and live in the United States, they are paid below minimum wage and work without recourse to regulations which protect workers' health and safety. The dissonance between the so-called American dream and what many have experienced as the American reality is not easy to resolve. I want to read to you a couple of short stanzas from a poet who wrote about the American dream. I share these lines because for me they speak about the depth of the dream, why it's worth talking about, why it's worth fighting for. When he was first published, this poet was working as a black busboy at the whites-only Wardman Park Hotel in Washington, D.C. The poet's name is Langston Hughes. His poem, Let America Be America Again, is from 1935. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be the land where every man is free. Oh yes, I say it plain, America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. That's the power of a great dream. A dream bigger than the first dreamers, a dream so big that it can be picked up generations later by the son of people whose freedom was denied by the original dreamers. When I lived in Honduras, I met two young boys with really interesting names. Their names convey the sense that this American dream doesn't just live on our borders. To understand why their names are so fascinating, you have to understand phonetics in Spanish language. You see, in Spanish, each vowel only ever makes one sound. The letter U always makes the sound U. A always produces the sound A. I always E, and so on. In Honduras, in the rural village of Talanga, I met a boy named Usmail. Spelled out, his name is written U-S-Mail. He was named for the letters that came with remittance checks from his father, probably an undocumented worker here in the United States. His mother named her child in Thanksgiving for the source of income that provided shelter, food, and medical care for her family. The other boy I met in the capital, Tegucigalpa, his name was Usaid, U.S.A.I.D., I tell these stories about the names because I think they represent the state of the American dream. For America's sake, we have to keep working toward that dream. We can't pretend to have arrived. No one person's success realizes the dream when others are suffering. This weekend, we pause to remember those who gave their lives for the dream of America. Of course, we will remember those who gave their lives in our arms armed forces, but can we also remember the other dreamers who gave their lives as well? Can we remember the marchers, the protesters, the hunger strikers? 
Can we remember the workers, the builders, and those whose labor has fed our country? Can we remember those who collapsed in the desert or drowned in the ocean trying to reach American soil? Can we make tomorrow a Memorial Day for all of those who dare us to dream about what this nation can be? As I think about the centurion, I have a hunch about what made him a different kind of Roman. I have a hunch about what sets him apart. The centurion understood he couldn't solve his issues on his own. He wasn't self-sufficient. The centurion understood that he needed God. He understood that he hadn't arrived. He knew that he needed the power of Jesus' healing touch, and not for himself, but for the one who served him, the one our gospel text calls his slave. Our final hymn today is a patriotic song. We're going to march out singing, O Beautiful for Spacious Skies. I know that some of you might feel awkward combining patriotism and church. That's okay. I want to tell you why I picked the hymn. The second line of the hymn really wins it for me. O beautiful for heroes proved in liberating strife who more than self their country loved, and mercy more than life. America, America, God, mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. Those words were written by Catherine Lee Bates, 19th century feminist. If you want to find an interesting character for writing a patriotic song, do some research on Catherine Lee Bates. Her words help us to know that this song is not that kind of American patriotic anthem. Her words help us know that the American dream is worth dreaming. Because at its best, it challenges us. It asks us to continue to look for healing not just for ourselves, but for those in need, to continue to include the surprising other, to continue to ask God to bring God's reign here on earth. Tomorrow, as we remember those who died for a dream, can we also remember the dream they were dreaming? Amen.